Well, hey there. Welcome, everybody. My name is Todd. I'm here with Alyssa. We're doing the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. And we usually start with a question. Alyssa goes out and finds something that I don't know anything about. And uh, we've we've done some some bands that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And I, I you haven't prepped me for this at all. Nope. Okay. All right. Sticking with the kitchen and oh, food. Kitchen. All right. Food. Okay. Do you have a designated cheese drawer in your refrigerator? Do we have a designated cheese drawer? I'm going to say that, yes, we do have a designated cheese drawer, but uh, I'm trying to think of that chart, right? Like there's the chaotic neutral right in the, or the lawful neutral, or the, no, what is it right in the middle? The chart. <laughs> the pyramid? No, 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 not the, not the food pyramid. It's, it's um, yeah, I, I can't remember. This is a terrible beginning because <laughs> there's this chart that describes like all of the different attitudes you could have to any number of different things. Okay. And it's used in uh, role-playing games and fantasy role-playing games to kind of define your character. Okay. And it's lawful, cha- lawful, neutral, and chaotic, right? Um, good, neutral, and evil. Okay. So if you're lawful evil, you follow the rules, but you do it for bad reasons. Okay. Right? Um, and so I think like when it comes to my cheese drawer... Mm-hmm. We're a little more chaotic because we don't always put the cheese in the drawer. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but are we good, neutral, or evil? Probably neutral because I don't think that there's a moral value to where you store cheese. Oh, so you don't, like, we have a specific drawer. That's where all of the cheese goes. Yes. 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 But it doesn't always go there. Okay. Because of chaotic. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, why? Do you have a designated cheese location? Yes, and I didn't realize it wasn't a thing until it started going around on TikTok that it's not normal it's, to just have a drawer full of all the different types of cheeses. What do you mean it's not a thing? It's always been a thing. Well, that's what I thought, but apparently. Who are these TikTok people and what are they? I don't know. What is TikTok anyway? <laughs> okay, so that's a joke. I actually do know what TikTok is. Um if you if you don't have TikTok and don't know, just stay away. <laughs> right. Because it's like a black hole that will draw your attention. TikTok is an it's an algorithm based short form video entertainment platform. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in something and you watch it, even for a few seconds, the algorithm behind TikTok will know that you watched. Yep. And it will give you more. Mm-hmm. So there's one, um, I don't think I follow this lady on TikTok, but she's called The Culture Muse. Okay. And she's taking tours of all these ancient sites in the Mediterranean. Okay. So like Pompeii, she goes around Pompeii a lot. Mm-hmm. She'll talk about stuff. Love her stuff. But then there's also Creepy Dave. Do you know who Creepy Dave is? No, see, I'm on a different side of TikTok. So. Yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> um, Creepy Dave talks about animals. Okay. And, you know, he just, he messes them all up. So it's funny. Gotcha. Yeah. Crappy Barras. Crappy Barbers is what he calls Crappy Barras. <laughs> crappy Barbers. This is Crappy Barbers anyway. Now we're down in the TikTok rabbit hole. <laughs> but something I do have a couple of qualifications to talk about are biblical things and understanding the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things I want for this podcast and for you if you're listening. Hello, Grant. Appreciate you. Um, one of the things that I want to use this for is to help people, like when they crack open their Bible... Because a lot of times, um, especially if you, like even if you're new to the faith or new to the Bible, um, you open it up and there's all these different things that feel really random, mm-hmm. you know? Like when someone's like, okay, I'll start in the middle. 
They start in the middle and it's Psalms and Proverbs, or maybe they'll hit something like Ecclesiastes that starts off saying, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. And you're like, wow, this guy is intense. Or you might start at the beginning and you'll think, okay, Genesis, Exodus, you know, all you're kind of cooking along and all of a sudden you get this kind of literature that's called legal literature. <laughs> and it's literally like watching paint dry sometimes, unless you can get like the construction of the tabernacle, mm -hmm. like that's written in words. And, you know, you think a picture would be maybe better there. Right. Not to question, you know, the inspiration of scripture or anything, but show me a picture and we don't need all these words. Right. Or some architectural drawings. <laughs> but architectural drawings hadn't been invented when this was written. So um, So you're not just supposed to, like, during our uh, quiet time with God at camp, you're not just supposed to open your Bible and randomly pick a verse? Yeah, I think that, like, I don't want to completely diminish that, right? Because I do believe that it's an inspired book. Mm -hmm. And every time, like, every time I open it up and read it, whether it's reading to prepare for a sermon or just mm -hmm. reading just to read, I come away with thinking, oh, wow, I have to know more about that. Or I never thought about this this way. Mm -hmm. So it really is an amazing book. So yeah. as a technique, that's a bad technique. Okay. Like flop it open and be like, here's my life verse. Mm -hmm. Now, hold on. There's a lot. <laughs> and I, I actually have a problem with verses. Okay. Because verses were added very much later. Like when the Hebrew and the Greek were originally written down, they didn't even have spaces between the words. Right. So it just all kind of ran together. One long One sentence. long, it's all capital letters. It's all just, it's just there. And you had to be, like you had to be thinking as you're reading to break the ideas apart. Um, verses came along. There are several different verse schemes. I think I'm going to say this and... Um, I'm going to say this and then fact check it later. I think verses probably came about as a result of the printing press. Mm, so yeah. uh, the Bible was written before AD 100. Okay. And then it was hand copied for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. You have the advent of the printing press in the 1300s, I think. And so now that coincided with the rise of cheap paper which you would be surprised, like as a technology and as an improvement and an advancement in society, the existence of paper is just a watershed. It's monumental. Well, I mean, look how much paper we use in this paperless time. Right. Yeah, I feel like I crossed that bridge. Like I'm a little bit digital and mostly paper. <laughs> but originally, uh, okay, th this is an aside. Um, paper was made from rags, from linen. Mm -hmm. And so you would take the linen, you would bleach it in the sun, um, you would use um, you would use urine to bleach the paper <laughs> or to bleach the rags so right. they'd be white, and then you would pound them apart, and you would create a rag linen paper that's actually it's better than the tree paper we have now. It's right. more, more durable because it's made from linen, and that just changed the whole printing industry until you get to this stuff, which is just it's so cheap. So the printing press kind of gave rise to the popularization of the Bible. Mm -hmm. The translation of the Bible came around. Uh, I'm going to say like some of the early English translations are 900s of thousands, but they weren't very, they weren't very good. And they didn't really catch on because mm -hmm. the printing press hadn't been invented yet. Once you get to the printing press and the rise of a desire for an English translation of the Bible, which was vigorously opposed and is a great story all of itself. But once you have that, now you have people who aren't as familiar with the scope of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so you couldn't refer to, like, today we'll talk about the Good Samaritan. 
um, people would be like, oh, yeah, I know that story or right. I know where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, now you have people who don't know the story and don't know where it is, at least not as well as the literate people of the day. And so they would need some way to find it. So if I say Luke 10, 25, that means the book of Luke, chapter 10, mm-hmm. verse 25, and you'll find numbers in the Bible that correspond to that story of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we often forget, you know, in church, because we're so accustomed to knowing the Bible and knowing about the Bible that we throw out there, yeah, Luke 10, 25, and it's a mystery to people who've never opened oh, the Bible yeah. before, right? Right. Like, what is he talking about? Why can't he give me a page number? Because well, right? the page number is different depending on what Bible you're reading. The page number is different depending on what Bible you're reading, exactly. And that's where I think, um, so yeah, so Luke 10, 25, and when we, when we think about those kind of things, the, the rise of paper, the rise of verse numbers, what the verse numbers actually do is they get in the way of understanding the context. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of times where the verse numbers are just really, really bad, or the chapter divisions are really bad for understanding the author's flow of thought. So we might finish the chapter and not finish the thought. Right. So I'm not a big fan of verse numbers. Actually, that reminds me. There's a book, there's a Bible that is, um, they're called Reader's Editions. And so if you get a Reader's Edition of whatever Bible you're interested in, I like the ESV. So the ESV Reader's Edition doesn't have verse numbers. I don't think the Message Bible, I don't believe it has verses. Yeah. Like if it does, it's like one through five and it doesn't separate that. Exactly. And so in modern translations, they're starting to use more paragraphs Mm -hmm. than verses. They still have verse numbers in them, or they'll still, like the ESV Reader's Bible has the verses up at the top, yeah. you know? And so that's, it's still helpful. You can still kind of find where you're at. <clears throat> and it's, it's a whole lot easier to, like, just sit down and read mm-hmm. because you're not encumbered by verses. Those little pesky numbers that just numbers. pop up. So they were criticized from the very beginning. The guy, this is the, ver- there were several different verse numbering schemes. This mm-hmm. is the one that stuck, Okay. okay. So what we have is from the 1550s, a guy named uh, Robert Stephanus. And from the beginning, he was criticized for his versification of the Bible. They said that he, he put the verses in while he was riding his horse. <laughs> and every time the horse hit a bump, he put, a he put another verse. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so when we think about, um, I'm trying to come back to like what I'm, on my notes, I say I'm going to talk about um, <laughs> cheese drawer. Um, yeah, wh- which drawer am I in right now? So when it, when we come to like Luke 10 and Luke 10:25 and the story of the Good Samaritan, it fits into this larger context of what Luke is trying to say about Jesus. The Gospels are different pictures of the person of Jesus, who he is, his significance. Um, and there are three that are called the Synoptic Gospels: Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm-hmm. Synoptic means they kind of sing the same song. Mm-hmm. And then there's John, and John is different. John was written much later. It's a theological reflection on Jesus' life. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written much earlier, probably okay. within, I think there's evidence to support um, within about 20 or 25 years. Okay. So, like, people who knew Jesus, Jesus were yeah. still around, and they could sort of fact check everything that was written down. And so Luke is, uh, Luke is a, a physician. He is a very educated person. His Greek is very educated. Mm-hmm. 
And so he's put, he's very carefully researched a lot of different things, a lot of the oral traditions, what people were talking and saying about. He probably had access to Matthew and Mark as he sat down to write Luke. And one of the things he's doing in uh, Luke 10, 25 uh, to 37 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he's using a story to teach about the values of the kingdom. Okay. And so people who are Christians should consider themselves citizens of Christ's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And as a citizen of Christ's kingdom, there are certain behaviors that are expected of us. Right. And some of those behaviors can be really kind of overwhelming or even like, wow, that's a big ask. Right. Yeah. And I think the Good Samaritan is one of those. Um, we don't usually read the text, but uh, NIV, Luke ten twenty five. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Luke ten twenty six. What is written in the, law, in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Wow. I mean, and this is where, like, so I've, I've got on my screen here, I've got the NIV study Bible open in front of me, and I've got uh, three other study Bibles kind of opened up uh, on my uh, on computer here. The lawyer um, is the guy who is asking the question. This is a guy who is an expert in the Old Testament law. Mm -hmm. He's got all of the all the different requirements, all of the different things, he's got them in his mind. And these guys had really highly trained memories. So he's probably, and he doesn't have verse numbers. Right. right? He's got highly trained memory, doesn't have any verse numbers. And so as he casts like his mind into scripture, this was actually a common question that people want, wanted to know, what's the greatest command? What's the one thing I really have to focus on? And um, he nails it. He gets the right answer. Mm-hmm. But he has the wrong attitude. And what I think was really great um, in church on Sunday, we had the kids in there. And I tried to make it, I tried to take this story and kind of uh, bring them into it, get them involved in it. Mm -hmm. And there were some kids playing with Legos in the room. Yes. But when I asked a question, they were right on it. <laughs> they, they were there. They were like, oh, it's this, you know, or it's that. And mm -hmm. I had a couple of kids. They're so adorable because they'll hold their hands up. You know, I think Jonah <laughs> a couple of times did that. Um, here's this guy who has this question and he says, uh, when he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think as a Christian, we very naturally think he's asking how to get saved. How do I get into a kingdom mm -hmm. that I'm not a part of yet? Okay. But that's not really what's on his mind. He's an expert in the law. He thinks he's already in. And so his question about inheritance is more about, how do I make sure my position is mm. solid? How do I make sure that I'm getting the most out of the experience? Uh -huh. You know, it's almost as if he's coming to Jesus as uh, like he's going to be a passenger on a cruise ship. You know, and he's like, I want the best possible experience here. How mm -hmm. do I make sure I get that? What do I have to do? Um, and Jesus turns the question around. What's written in the law? Now, this question, this for me, like, when I hear, love the Lord your God with all your heart, wow, that's big. Mm -hmm. Because the reality of it is, is that even as a Christian, you know, our hearts are not perfect. Right. You know, um, I'm always humbled by husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself forth. That's in Ephesians 525. Verse numbers. <laughs> um, 
that's the drawer that that cheese is in. Um, and for me, it's always, it's always so humbling because I love my wife. We have a good relationship. But as Christ loved the church, Jesus went to the cross mm-hmm. for the church. And it's like, I don't like taking the trash out. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's big. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like it when I don't get my way um, in our relationship sometimes. So I think the, the expert in the law probably, like if he's thinking through this question, he's not thinking through it. He's just giving him the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> pick C, love your neighbor as yourself. That to me, that too, like I have neighbors. They're good yeah. neighbors. They're bad neighbors. There's indifferent neighbors. There's neighbors that you wave at and kind of walk away. And, you know, what do you expect out of your neighbor in the modern world? Mm-hmm. Cut your grass. Don't leave your, don't let your dog poop in my lawn. By the way, if you're from Oak Harbor and listening to this and you walk your dog around my house, I'm watching you. <laughs> in Christian love. Love your neighbor as yourself. hmm so if your dog poops on my lawn, not your dog, somebody else's dog. Yeah. Clean it up. My dogs don't walk on a leash, so. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, that would be great. So in the Good Samaritan, um, this is a story about an expert in the law who has a question, but then Jesus is going to answer with a story of his own. He goes on and says this. But he wanted to justify himself. The expert in the law wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? What this guy is looking for is like the limits. Mm-hmm. Is it just the guy who lives beside me? Or is it the guy two doors down? Or is it the guy the next street over? Or who is it? Right. And some people are using the Good Samaritan to talk about international relationships. Like how should America care for poor countries? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's written for that. I okay. think it's written for people right around you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's discipleship. So in, re- in reply, Jesus said, and he responds to the question with the story, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So let's, when, when we read this, let's, let's kind of assume someone with uh, limited knowledge of the Bible and his, the history of the Bible just mm-hmm. encounters this text. One of the ways that you can do this is just ask questions. Right. Okay. So where is Jerusalem? Where is Jericho? Who are the robbers? Um, You know, when you think about the road system, a lot of times we think about the Roman road system, where Mm -hmm. the Roman Empire in the first century, they constructed these stone roads that have lasted until today. But a lot of people traveled not on on those roads, yes. But then also, if you're going from one place to another, what's the most available route? What's the shortest route? Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be like a little goat track. Right. So this road here, um, it's probably a, a road that descends from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's like a winding path mm-hmm. with lots of different places for robbers to hide. But it seems like a very traveled road. Yeah, very traveled. And then if you're going between these two places and there's no Roman road, what road do you take? Right. How do you get to your house? Right. Well, you got to take the road. Is it under construction still? Probably. Yes. That's yes. why I take three different roads now. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, we've solved a lot of these problems in the modern world, but you have to remember, this is the ancient world. And so he's going to these two places. He's traveling on the road. This guy gets attacked and beat up. A priest. Okay. Who is a priest? Mm-hmm. Why would he be on the road alone? What's his responsibility? Is he coming from Jerusalem to Jericho? It looks like it because he's going down the same road. So it looks like he's finished his priestly duties in Jerusalem. Well, that opens up like a whole discussion about, okay, what are his duties in Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. How did the priesthood function and work? It turns out there were like 24 different groups of priests that would rotate in the temple where they would offer sacrifices and answer religious questions for people who came to express their devotion to God, Mm -hmm. to get themselves to, to get receive forgiveness for sins, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So even if there was no feast or festival, the priests are still there working to mediate the relationship between the people and God through the sacrificial system. Okay. So he's got work to do. If he's going home, he's not going to the temple. And one of the requirements for the priests that lives in the part of the Bible that we don't often read, <laughs> Exodus and Leviticus, it talks about how the priest was supposed to maintain himself in a state of being ritually ready mm-hmm. to encounter God, okay? This means he wasn't supposed to come in contact with certain dead things or dead animals. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't supposed to, hit, like there were extra rules for who he could marry. Um, there were extra requirements for his physical body. He was supposed to be without blemishes. So if okay. you were... Uh, if you were born with a birth defect, you would be disqualified from the priesthood. I mean, okay. all these kind of things were in there. And they feel kind of like, well, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. But we have a very justice-oriented society. Right. right? They had a di- Their orientation was a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. To be ritually ready and properly prepared to enter into God's presence. Right, wrong, or otherwise, this guy's a priest. What's his duty to the man who has been beaten? I don't know. Now, you're a very caring person. Mm-hmm. If you were to walk by somebody who'd been beaten up, what would you do? Stop and help. Stop and help. Yeah, 100%, right? Can you drive past people who are broken down on the highway? Yes. Yes, probably because you're little. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you're little and you're a girl, right? But if, if I cared for people like you did, I would have to stop for everybody, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of wired into who you are. Mm-hmm. This guy should have something of that built into his mind and heart and life. After all, what is the point of the law? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. But this guy, maybe he's thinking he doesn't want to be defiled. Mm -hmm. There could be a lot of things. So to a Levite. So Levites are, the priests had to come from the family of Aaron. Mm -hmm. So one one family inside this tribe of Levi. Right. The Levites are everybody else in that tribe who helped with all of the other functions of the temple. Mm -hmm. So cleaning, singing, um, just managing all of the different ins and outs of daily temple life, they were involved in that. Mm -hmm. The Levite, maybe he feels the same thing. He's like, well, I can't touch this guy. He could be dead, and then I'd be unclean. I wouldn't be ready to be in the presence of God. Right. That's a pretty charitable view of these guys yes, who have very a very yeah. yeah, a very simple duty to someone who is injured, right? What's your duty? Help. Especially if I mean here's this guy, he appears to be beaten and naked and exposed. He's if he's not dead, he's going to die. Mm-hmm. 
And then you have this guy who's a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan people had a very similar uh, background to their religious orientation. Mm-hmm. Okay, In the 500s or 600 years before the time of Christ, ballpark, um, what happened is that there was an invasion that carried away people out of Israel into Babylon and that's, you know, over in Persia, over by Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they took all the good people. They left behind the people who weren't so good. Mm-hmm. And those people became kind of mixed race people. Right. So they didn't have the pure lineage or the record of the pure lineage that the, the Jewish people who were carried away, the Samaritan people didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So they're the like Jewish people. Cousins. Yeah, they're like cousins, but they're your cousins. I'm going to say Appalachian cousins. No disrespect to people from Appalachia, you know, um, but they're kind of, you know, the Kentucky branch, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever um, ethnically similar group of people you might look down on. Right. Mm. That's them. They're like close, but not close enough. Gotcha. So the Samaritan, what's his obligation to this Jewish person who's been beaten up? The Jews and the Samaritans actually didn't have that good of a relationship. Now, in my research for this, I encountered a couple articles that I didn't dive into too deeply Mm -hmm. that sort of push back on the common narrative that Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. But the source for Jews and Samaritans not liking each other is an ancient Jewish author who's not in the Bible. So it's one of those things where you could kind of, that may come out more in the future, but... Here's this guy who's a Samaritan. And if you look in um, some of the study Bible notes, like the Life Application Study Bible says this about verse 1033. A deep hatred existed between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews saw themselves as pure descendants of Abraham, while the Samaritans were a mixed race produced when Jews from the northern kingdom intermarried with other peoples after Israel's exile. To this legal expert, the person least likely to act correctly would be the Samaritan. In fact, he did not even say the word Samaritan in answer to Jesus' question. This expert's attitude betrayed his lack of trust in the very thing he had earlier said the law commanded, love. And so this is where, like, I think the Life Application Study Bible does a good job of kind of summarizing this complex history and saying this is the basic problem. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it could do it better it does have a couple of references to things that I, I left out of my uh, reading, but I think it would do it better if it included some reference to a dictionary article or an encyclopedia article where it could say, for more information about relations between Jews and Samaritans, see this. Right. Right. And so that would be like the next level of your Bible study. Your study Bible is going to give you the, the sense of things. But a good study Bible may refer you over to, OK, there's more information mm-hmm. that you can get. Okay, two denarii is about two days' wages, which would cover about 24 days at the end. This is pretty extreme. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, how much is a hotel room for 24 days? A lot. A lot, yeah, especially, I mean, even a cheap hotel room. I, I know somebody who rented a hotel by the month, and it was a cheap hotel. It was 800 bucks. Mm. So Jesus asks the legal expert, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And here's where he can't even say the word Samaritan. The expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. 
And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That to me, like when you read that story and think through, go and help people that you don't like. Mm -hmm. Those people are your neighbors. Really? And that's where it comes kind of back full circle to the high calling of discipleship is not to do what I want. Right. It's to do what God wants. Mm -hmm. And so I might have something that's right in my mind. And if it's challenged by scripture, what's my response? Turn the page. <laughs> Change the verse numbers. Mm -hmm. No, it's to bow in submission to God and trust him for the outcome. Right. And I think that's where, um, you know, there is this high calling of discipleship that Luke is pointing out. And there are people who could read this and understand this and be like, I don't want to follow Jesus. It's too much. Okay. You still should follow Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's what right. what's right. And um, trust him for the outcome. I read a story about, um, and I think you'll appreciate this, because it, it, we talked about it in the pre-show last time. Um, it was a story about a, a woman, uh, 18 years old, who got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And she was a very from a very strict family, and she knew um, that her parents would be very upset, they would probably kick her out of the house, disown her, and she wanted to go to veterinary school. And there was another middle-aged woman that she had a relationship with, don't remember why. And the middle-aged woman said, look, if you choose to terminate the pregnancy, I will provide a place for you to, to recover. Mm -hmm. You know, no, no judgment, no nothing. But if you choose to have the child, you can stay at my house. Mm -hmm. And I'll do everything in my power to make sure you can still go to veterinary school. I'll watch your daughter. I'll mm -hmm. watch your baby, you know. Um, I'll help you through the pregnancy, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. That woman, the, the, the woman chose to have the baby. Yeah. And uh, you know, she, had, she was willing to deal with the social scorn and the, the being looked down on. Mm -hmm. um, and the middle-aged woman who took care of her had to take out a second mortgage on her house. And uh, that's pretty costly, yeah. right? Yeah. So that this other, so this child could go to vet school. I think that's the kind of quiet discipleship that Jesus calls us to, mm -hmm. wants from us. You know, and you think, oh, that's expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. Ruth Ann and I are adoptive parents. When someone tells me they want to adopt, I say, come talk to me first. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot believe the emotional, financial, mm -hmm. practical expenses that you'll have to go through mm -hmm. to do this and do it well. There are some great adoptive parents out there. I know some people who are just, they're adoption heroes. Mm -hmm. You know, they, like um, the, the family that I'm thinking of has adopted multiple kids, mm -hmm. some of them with really special needs. And I'm like, wow, I don't know that I could do that. Yeah. You know, um, I have a friend who he's older than me. His wife is younger and she takes in girls, you know, teenage mm -hmm. girls. Now, you've been a teenage girl. Yes. How, how was that for you? Good? A mm. little, little rough? Yeah. Were there any emotions involved? Oh, just a few. Just a few. Can you imagine, you know, teenage girls who are coming from a broken home and dealing with oh. um, maybe even addiction and recovery, yeah. substance abuse problems, and you want to give them a home and love them? Mm -hmm. That's a high calling. I it don't is. know that I could do that. I'm sure that I couldn't do that. <laughs> But that's really, when, when you read the story of the Good Samaritan and he says, go and do likewise, that means that your resources, the things that you have, your time, your money, your, your talent, all those kind of things, you may have to say no to certain things, right? I'm sure that the, the Samaritan 
he had to say no to some other needs that he saw in the world mm -hmm. so that he had those two denarii in his pocket. Maybe he was even going up to Jerusalem to make an offering at the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah. And he took that money and used it to take care of this man. Do you think God's okay with that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think God's okay with that. So I think, uh, I, I like to think procedurally, right? So if you're reading this for the first time, or if you want to crack open Luke, uh, Luke is in the New Testament. It's the third book, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then you can get to chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, there should be, um, there should be some headings. It's page 1,787 in my large print NIV study Bible. <laughs> um, but as you read these stories, ask questions. Mm -hmm. What is this? What is that? And if the questions are answered in the footnotes, that's great. If the questions aren't answered in the footnotes, that's where you would crack open a dictionary or another study Bible and look for the answer. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of having a notebook when you do Bible study, right? Yes. Yep. And you write down, hey, I don't know what this is. I'll call Pastor Todd and then call me. I love that kind of stuff. I love it when somebody, somebody actually, somebody said to me, well, it was a friend of mine who was thinking about uh, the Orthodox Church. And I basically grabbed an article from a, a evangelical dictionary and I sent mm -hmm. it to him because I think that he would value that information. Mm -hmm. um, all the different topics that we hit. There are articles about Samaritans. There are articles about probably robbers. We could find out more about robbers. Right, yeah. Right? yeah. And uh, I think that's where, like your Bible study takes on a different dimension when you try to understand the history and the culture and how it fits. Mm -hmm. So that you don't become that person who is just um, flipping the Bible open, grabbing a couple of verses, and then maybe not understanding the big point. Mm -hmm. I get that. So do you have in your refrigerator a lettuce drawer? Well, it's a vegetable drawer. So, ve so all yeah. the vegetables all go the in vegetables there? All the vegetables go in there. Why? So I know where all the vegetables are. <laughs> but isn't, doesn't it, isn't, didn't it used to be called like a crisper? Like it, like for some reason the temperature was different and it kept things crisp longer? Very possible, but I'm pretty sure on my refrigerator it says vegetables. Yeah, but why? Oh, now we found a question that you don't know anything about. Correct. So if you're a food scientist and you've made it this far, let us know, or we're going to Google it. Why is there a vegetable drawer in Hey, this is Dan Paul Fight Scholar. Thanks so much for playing along. Hope you have a great day. God bless you.